Welcome back to Ether Hour, everybody. I am your host, Conrad Franz, joined as always by Dimitri Kalyagin. This is our ninth episode. We're coming at you with a big subject talking about orthodoxy in East Asia, China, Japan, you know, that part of the world. And we are, of course, joined by a guest, a friend of mine who will introduce himself in one second. But Dimitri, how are you doing? Doing great, Conrad. It's it's great to be here on the ninth episode of FVR. Already nine episodes in, and we're going to speak about a region which I think has fascinated a lot of people in regards to its its history in terms of Christianity and the Christian tra tradition there. I think it definitely is the land of the future in regards to Orthodox Christianity, and we're kind of touching upon it in this first episode, but I'm sure this could be a series in the future. And joined today by our good friend, Conrad, I'll let you introduce him. But as always, I'm glad to be here and looking forward to this uh, really exciting episode. And you're coming off a trip, which I'm sure we'll discuss to some relevant regions, but who is here with me, a good friend of mine, Seraphim. You know, I'll let him introduce himself, give a bit of his background. How are you doing? Hey, yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, so my name's Seraphim, as uh, both of them just uh, said. I'm a Orthodox Christian. I was baptized in 2020, right before the pandemic, uh, and a little before Conrad. Uh, me and Conrad met in the same church. Uh, we're catechized, catechized together before uh, the whole pandemic happened. And I'm Chinese, um, so they kind of invited me on uh, for this very topic. It's kind of involved on a low level with Orthodox um, OCMC, Orthodoxy in China. Um, I forget the full name. It's like Orthodox Fellowship All Saints of China or something like that. Um, a lot of them are based in, a lot of the folks that are in America are based in the Northeast. Been doing a lot of Byzantine chant in Chinese. Um, that's been a big project um, these past few months, pretty much since Christmas or so. But yeah, I speak a little bit of Mandarin, more or less fluent in Cantonese. And yeah, I'm really trying my best to try to integrate these sort of many identities um, as best I can within the context of the church. And I think ultimately it will be, you know, for the glory of God and evangelizing, um, you know, if, if not full on, you know, going to China, um, definitely giving you know, my time and my energy towards publishing content, uh, whether that's literature, religious texts, or, you know, chants for the for the missionary work in China. No, I think that's Byzantine chanted Chinese. All of that is going to be, you know, I struggle with it in English, so I can't imagine how some of, you know, the attempting goes. And that's, that's really awesome. But we're going to be talking on here about history of orthodoxy in China, then kind of moving up in time towards the current day. And for those of you who listen to World War Now, you know, China, Russia, that relationship is really big in the geopolitical sphere right now. And because of that, we've seen some interesting meetings, you know, Patriarch Kirill meeting with Xi Jinping and, you know, just kind of this future of orthodoxy in China and these regions is you know, is kind of being focused on a little bit more because of this geopolitical situation. But before we get into anything like that, we got to go way back in time to the days of the apostles. So, Dimitri, who was the first Christian in China or in the region? Well, according to, I suppose, popular legend, and it isn't, in fact, mentioned in the hagiography of Apostle Thomas, uh, which I suppose is the apostle who allegedly traveled to China, or at least has entered into some of the regions of ancient China in the first century AD after his um, 
quite far, I suppose, evangelization of India, where he eventually met his uh, martyrdom, uh, as according to, you know, mainstream sort of Christian belief. And in the Orthodox Christian Church, we do take this account as as sort of the gospel narrative and the continuation of the New Testament story that Apostle Thomas did, in fact, meet his martyrdom in India. But, you know, according to legend, he did, in fact, travel to China. And similar to how Apostle Andrew the first called the brother of Apostle Peter did travel to Crimea and did spend time in what is today known as Ukraine or I guess ancient Russia and did baptize some Scythian peoples. You know, that is a legend that is attributed to in Eastern Europe. So is Apostle Thomas, I suppose, counted as the, I suppose, the apostle of China in a way. So the first roots of Christianity, at least, do kind of hinge upon his mission in China. Whether whether or not he established any bishops or sees or churches or parishes in China is unknown because at least none of them have survived to this day. And in fact, it is kind of a matter of, you know, it's it's more of an archaeological matter at this point, which we will discuss later on exactly how Christianity did continue on in China and which other missions had accompanied, uh, you know, the various Christian pilgrims and missionaries from the from the West all the way to the East. And by West, we mean in this case the Middle East, you know, and their tra- and these all these various travelers who traveled to the Eastern regions of the world, and in fact uh, have met with several challenges uh, throughout the centuries, kind of spreading Christianity in this particular region. Um, so definitely, Apostle Thomas is considered the the apostle of China, and in fact, in the future, as I, th- I believe, there will probably will be more churches dedicated to him. There'll be more, uh, there'll be more of a clear image. Just as in Constantinople, at some point, the ancient capital of the Byzantine Empire, it really wasn't clear exactly as to who should be the symbol of the new church, because Constantinople wasn't considered an apostolic see until a, a little bit later on, and so they were in fact a bit undecided as to should Apostle Andrew the first called or should Apostle John who, you know, passed away at Ephesus, really quite close by to Byzantium and Constantinople, who should be considered the apostle of the second Rome. It was very much a a debate until a bit later on. And in fact, some of these narratives will probably be dealt with a bit in the future. And as as Christian archaeology develops furthermore into, I suppose, the 21st and the 22nd century in the future. So I guess we'll investigate more, you know, speak about more uh, on that subject later on. But at this point, let's move on to, I suppose, the first millennia AD when we have the first roots of Christianity really take hold in a palpable way in, in China. Perhaps, Seraphim, you could expand upon that, especially some of the early Church of the East, you know, migrations into China and the pilgrimages and maybe even outright missionary work that has occurred on that end. Yeah, so I actually did a bit of research into kind of those claims about first century, first couple century um, sort of uh, entryways of uh, Christianity into China. A lot of those claims, especially regarding Apostle Thomas making his way into um into China are a little bit speculative, in my opinion. Obviously, whenever you do archaeological work, it's always a it's always a form of interpretation of the past. Like there's so many. Uh, Jonathan Vigil often makes like the funny claim about like you know you know those you know for so-called fertility goddess like statues that they have in Mesopotamia. It's like how do you know they're fertility goddess and they're worshipped? You know, there's there's no way to really connect those dots. So one of the things that I was looking into was a lot of pretty much all the claims about Apostle Thomas uh, going into China are based on this one author called Pierre Perrier. 
like very French, like P-I-E-R-R-E-P-E-R-R-I-E-R. Um, and he's looking mainly at um, this mountain called Kong Wang Shan. And his, the book is called Kong Wang Shan, Apostle Thomas and Prince Ying, The Evangelization of China from 6480 to 8780. And a lot of um, these really old statues and carvings in the wall, he's seeing basically Christian symb symbology, iconography. There's a pretty convincing uh, Cairo symbol in one of the images that are taken. But then the, you know, interpreting some of these, for example, like statues as, you know, Mary holding uh, a baby. I mean, uh, a woman holding a baby is automatically assumed to be iconography of uh, the Theotokos and the Christ child. It, it could be possible, but it's it's very hard to tell. There, I don't think there are many inscriptions, Chinese characters. So a lot of that is based off of one book and one person's, let's say, archaeological expertise or speculation. So I'm not sure how much stake we can put in that. I'm not sure. Did you guys do much research into that? No, I would say, in fact, um, the, one, the one book I really looked at uh, was written by Russian missionaries in China in the 19th century. And they only make a passing remark, and probably they also have read this uh, Frenchman's book, uh, and they kind of make a passing remark that maybe Apostle Thomas could have um, had some dealings with you know early Chinese Christianity in the early centuries. But in fact, they don't actually go into depth, and uh, it's very much a non-speculative work, and it's somewhat uh, archaeological in its very nature. It's very historical work. It's called The Ancient... Uh, the Ancient Remnants of Christianity According to Chinese Sources. And it's written by Archimandrite Palladium, who was, the, who was the head of the Russian mission in the 1870s in China. So he was kind of like of a more historian, sort of archaeological mindset. And so he decided to write this 400-page book, a few chapters which I've skimmed over, just in sort of in search of, I guess, what exactly, what are some of the exemplary remarks he would make. But he was uh, very much looking at different... Uh, sources and it was very heavily focused on at least in the story inside which we will which we can i guess go into depth here and he does mention a lot of that in the first the first millennium uh chinese history but really apostle thomas not really here the russians at least haven't found any evidence in the 19th century yeah i guess insofar as from an epistemic perspective in the tradition if we do hold you know that his martyrdom was in india and what was that you know obviously i think a lot of the malankara Monophysite churches would hold to, you know, him going out there, and I think a lot of us would. I think from a geographic perspective, in theory, it thus makes it possible that he wandered up a little bit farther north or something into what is now considered, you know, the state of China today, which, you know, has historically covered a very large amount of, you know, East Asia. So in defense, I guess, of the of the tradition maximalists, I'll say I could, I'm willing to deem it definitely geographically possible based on accepted tradition. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. And I could, in terms of universal history, I could definitely see it as being a more concrete piece of evidence for Chinese to say, you know, you know, Buddhism actually entered China pretty late. If, if we take if we take um, Christianity to have, to have entered China in the first century, it entered uh, somewhere in the third century, the third or, third or fourth century. But, you know, Christianity, if it really did predate Buddhism, then you could even say it's, it's more native to China than Buddhism is. Yeah, so what I would call is the more established history of uh, Christianity in China is uh, with the Church of the East. I'm not 100% sure if it was Indian missionaries or uh, 
or Syriac or Iranian uh, missionaries from that part of the world. But either way, it definitely was the Church of the East. Uh, as to whether or not they were uh, heretical, there was a thread by, I think, Sierran. Is what his name, uh, Conrad? Yeah, Sierran yeah, was sure. saying there might have been divisions within the Church of the East where there was a heretical faction and a more orthodox fashion. I can't really speak to it. I did take a look at the primary documents of uh, what was called the, the Xi'an Steel. That is going to be it for the free preview, everybody. Be sure to go to worldwarnow.substack.com and subscribe. Go paid to hear the full episode. We go really deep on Japan, China, Korea, the prospects of orthodoxy, patriarch, Kirill meeting with Xi Jinping, and so on. So you don't want to miss that. Be sure to go on Substack. Subscribe to the paid. Just $7 a month as well as there's a free trial. $75 a year saves you a few dollars as well if you want to do that. really helps us out. Remember... We have, you know, 33 plus episodes of World War Now up for free, so all of your support really means a lot and lets us do more content. Thank you to Seraphim, and go subscribe. Yeah, thank you so much. God bless y'all.